Um, Genesis chapter 11, uh, verse 27, uh, down to Genesis 12, verse 9. Before we read the Bible, let's pray together. Almighty God, as we see your dealings here in this passage with, with Abraham, as we've seen your dealings with, with Noah and with the whole line of promise before him, going back to Adam, Lord, we're reminded that you are a God who is faithful to keep your promises. Lord, we thank you that, that you have given this passage to us and in here we see what is the, 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 the right response to your promises, the loving, faithful obedience. But Lord, we know that, that even Abraham failed to fully and completely obey you. Lord, that there needed to be another who would perfectly obey. And so Lord, I pray that as we see this passage that we would not, uh, and even as we, we look to the example of, of Abraham's faith, Lord, we would not look finally ultimately at Abraham, but at the God who is faithful to Abraham. And Lord, that we would respond by your grace and for your glory in faith and obedience to you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Genesis 11, verse 27. Oh, please remain standing. Um, Genesis eleven twenty-seven. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram and his son, and, sorry, Abram his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go into the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the, to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of our Lord. Would you please be seated. Abraham is honored 
as the father of the three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. The Jews see Abraham as the patriarch of the Jewish religion and father of the Jewish people. Muslims see Abraham as the monotheistic worshiper and ancestor of their prophet Muhammad. We as Christians know who Abraham really was and understand his role. We see his role in the link between primeval history and the patriarchs, but far more importantly, in, in Abraham, we see the link between God's blessing on the nation of Israel and God's blessing on the nations of the earth. We see Abraham as a paragon of faith. Yet we know that Abraham was a mere man. And his faithful actions were a testimony not to his own faithfulness, but to the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God is, after all, the key theme of the book of Genesis. So it makes sense that one of the, the key figures in Genesis would serve to highlight the faithfulness of God. God had promised in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And nothing could stop God's promises from being fulfilled. Not murder. Not the inherent wickedness in the hearts of men. Not a global flood. Not the humiliation of a father by his son. Not humanistic rebellion. God's promise marches on. And God's promises to, to Abram before he is given the name Abraham anticipate another iteration of the covenant of grace. The rebellion at Babel that we read of in Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9 led to a scattering of the nations across the face of the earth. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that migration continuing. The linear genealogy of chapter 11, that of Noah's son Jem from Shem from, from Genesis 11:10 to 26, shows God's promises that the seed of the promise will, will come, and that God will advance His divine blessing, finishing with Terah and his three sons, Abram, Nahor and Haran. But it is specifically to Abram and through and through Abram that this promise will continue. So that that genealogy, that linear genealogy from from eleven ten to twenty six, gives way now to to a segmented genealogy. Uh, the short genealogy, it, just in these few verses, that 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 deals with mainly with with Terah and his three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And so with Genesis 11:27 we we see a new turning point in human history. This is the beginning of a, of a new Toledot, the generations of Terah. Again with this focus uh, on Abram, it's the longest of the Toledots in Genesis. It goes all the way to Genesis 25:11. And this passage before us from from Genesis 11:27 to 12:9 is is divided into three sections. First of all, in 11, 27 to 32, we see Abram's family history. Then in 12, 1 to 3, we see the Lord's call of Abram. And then in 12, 4 to 9, we see Abram's response to the Lord's call. So first of all, Abram's family history in, in Genesis 11, verses 27 to 32. Notice here again that it's, it says, these are the generations of Terah. 
Now, that might seem odd to you, that you might expect it instead to be the generations of Abraham, since the focus of of this Toledo is clearly on on Abraham. Tira doesn't even make it out of verse 32 alive. But apart from from the the subsequent genealogies, Tira is not even mentioned again in Genesis. But we can repeatedly see in the patriarch narratives that that the heading mentions the father while going on to focus on the son. For example, the genealogy of, of Isaac in 25.19 introduces the story of Esau. And the genealogy of Jacob in 37.2 introduces the story of Joseph. So we, we see a repetition of, of chapter 11, verse 26. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, with the additional phrase, and, and Haran fathered Lot. Now, Abram is the first son that, that's listed here, but, but we're not told the birth order. It, it could very likely be that, that Abram was actually one of the younger brothers, possibly significantly younger than his other brothers. Terah and his family live in the land of Ur in southern Mesopotamia, which is, which is modern Iraq. Abram's brother Haran fathers a son, Lot, and has two daughters, Milcah and Iscah. And then Haran dies in Ur. Now Lot, it seems, from the, from the context, is, is taken in by Abram. The arrival of, of Abram on the scene here is an extremely important development as, as the link in the chain of God's promised blessing. But, but there are two huge obstacles. Two huge obstacles. First, we have the obstacle that we spoke of with the children. The obstacle of Abram's wife, Sarai. Now, it's interesting here that, that no genealogy is, is given for Sarai, but, but we do find out later that she is indeed Abram's half-sister. Now, marriage to one's half-sister is forbidden in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. There's another parallel problem with, with Abram's grandson, Jacob, who marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel, which is also forbidden. But the marriage itself is, isn't the only uh, apparent problem. Look down at verse 30. Wherever there's a digression in a a genealogy, you're being given very important information, something that that you need to understand in order to interpret the passage. Verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. In ancient Israel, having having, uh, children was was seen as vitally important, even even more important than it's, it's considered to be in our day. But more importantly, how can the blessing come through Abram's progeny if Sarai is barren. This is an issue that is is central to to the narrative of of Abram, and it's going to continue for many chapters. Barrenness is is a repeated theme even with the other patriarchs in the line of blessing. Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah was was barren, and also Jacob's wife Rachel was barren. I know many couples who are facing this difficult trial of being unable to have children. And the Lord may have promised offspring to, to Abram, but he has not promised offspring to them or to any of us. But now in some cases, the, the Lord can intervene like he did here. I know of couples who after, after many years of being unable to have children, suddenly the, the, Lord, the, the Lord gave them children. 
And so the Lord can intervene, hopefully not when the husband is 100 and the wife is 90, like in the case of, of Abraham and Sarah, but, but he may provide them with children. But quite often he doesn't. Quite often he doesn't give these couples children. And, and so many have chosen to adopt. And, and many ha- have chosen to, to use the, this added time that they have to be aunts and uncles to the children in the church. Friends, again, the Lord has not promised you offspring like he did Abram. But infertility is no barrier to God's promised blessing in your life. Infertility is no barrier to God's promised blessing in your life. If the Lord does not provide you with children, you can be confident that the Lord who loves you will use this trial in order to, to be able to, to cause you to grow into Christ-likeness. You can be confident that, that God's plans for your life will not be and cannot be thwarted. What are the things that, that, that you desire? And I'm, I'm, I know we desire spiritual things, but think about some of the, the, the temporal things, the temporal blessings that, that you have desired. the Lord may have a different plan for you. He, he has promised that, that he is our father in heaven. He is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no good gift that he will withhold from his children. So if God is withholding something from you, it's because he wants to give you something better. And in this time, even this, this protracted time where, where Abram and, and Sarai had no child, God had a better plan for them. A much, much better plan for them. But God's plans for your life cannot and will not be thwarted. This takes us to the, the second obstacle in this passage for, for the, the chain of God's promised blessing. Abram's religious heritage Though it's not explicit here in this text, Abram's father, Terah, was a pagan. He was a pagan. It's implied by the fact that Terah and his family live in in southern Mesopotamia, in the the city of Ur, which is a a major religious center for for the pagan worship of the moon god Ur. Now, we also live in in a major pagan center. But that doesn't mean that, that we're necessarily pagans. But the, the, there's, there's more evidence against, against Tira than just this. He, he, he left Ur. He left Ur. It's a good sign, right? It's a pagan city and he left it. Well, he took, he took Abram and Lot and Sarai and, and set up for Canaan. But they didn't make it there. Instead, they, they settled in, in Haran, 1,000 kilometers northwest of Ur in upper Mesopotamia. Now, the text doesn't give us the reason for his migration or, or why they stopped short of their intended destination, but it's interesting that the same terminology is used here that he settled in Haran. It's the same terminology that's used earlier in the chapter for the, the, the settlers of, of Babel, that they settled on the plains of Shinar. So this casts a shadow on, on his decision to, to remain in Haran. And so, so as they settled in this, in this other center of, of worship of the, the moon god, the, the, it's very likely that, that he was also a worshiper. He wasn't there as a missionary for the Lord. But the absolutely conclusive evidence and testimony against 
Terah comes in, in Joshua 24 2. This is Joshua speaking. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, and they served other gods. Terah was a pagan. But it's not only Terah. Abraham, Abram, it seems, was a pagan as well. Turn with me, if you will, to, to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter, or to, uh, to Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. In, uh, in verse 2, and Stephen said, Brothers and sisters, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, hear this, before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he goes on to talk about, about Abram's obedience. But before Abram's obedience, it seems that there was a time of disobedience. That the Lord had called him before he ever arrived in Haran, but he settled in, Her in Haran with his father, Terah. So it seems that, that, that Abram's family, family's religious heritage was impeding his obedience. Verse 32 tells us that Terah died in Haran at the age of 205. Now Terah dying at 205 means that he was alive through almost all of the events of Abram's life. In fact, he died just two years before Sarah died. But he didn't go. He didn't go with Abram. He, he, didn't, he didn't respond in obedience. It's very likely that Terah died a pagan. Abram's family may have been slowing him down, but they couldn't keep him from going where the Lord wanted him to go. Whatever had, had motivated Terah to leave Ur, the, the Lord was behind it. The, the Lord says to Abraham in Genesis 15, 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And so we see here that, that it was the Lord. Whatever circumstances motivated Terah, it was the Lord who had called Abram out of Ur. Just think for a moment about the circumstances in your life, the, the circumstances that, that led to your conversion. God's providential acts of, of bringing people across your path who, who shared the gospel and, and by maybe sometimes repeatedly shared the gospel to you. Think about the fact of, of being in a, in a Christian home where the gospel is proclaimed regularly and, and lived out. Now, you might know it yet, not, might not know it yet, but this might be God's providence that will lead to your conversion through the work of the Holy Spirit. Think also about, about, about God's providence in bringing you here to, to live in this city and, and, and to, to become a part of this church at this particular time in history. Think about, about Mateus and, and Camilla moving into this neighborhood, having, having no idea that this church was here or, or what this church believed. They thought, oh, we'll, we'll check it out. And it just so happens that, that God had been working in their lives in the months prior to their coming here so, so that they would desire the, the things of the doctrines of grace, that they would desire to understand the sovereignty of God and, and would just so happen in, in God's providence to find a church that, that teaches and believes that. 
The Lord has determined the boundaries of your dwelling place just as much as he has for Abram. Acts 17, 26. You can be confident that God will fulfill his purposes for you. You can be content that he will do it in his time. But as we'll see, this is not fatalism. Faith-driven, active obedience is required. So with that, let's look at, at the call, the Lord's call of Abram in, in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord's call of Abraham begins with a command, go, go. And it's followed by a series of promises, four of them, promised land, promised seed, promised name, and promised blessing. The Lord's covenant with Abram is not yet mentioned here, but, but it's, it's, in, it's anticipated and, and a number of the, the terms will be explicitly repeated there. We'll see the covenant ratified in, in chapter 12. It's not unlike God's promise to Noah that he would establish a covenant with him prior to the flood and then we see the covenant established after the flood. Here we see God is saying what, what, he's, what he's going to do for Abram. The Lord's call of Abram and all that it entails is, is vitally important to the Genesis narrative and to the meta-narrative of Scripture, to the, to the storyline of the Bible. This passage is vitally important. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 is, is, is really one of those, those pinnacle passages in the Old Testament, pointing to, to God's promises, to, to his line of blessing, and to his people all over the nations of the earth. So it's a link between God's blessing on the nation of Israel. As we said earlier, it's also it's a link between, between God's blessing on Israel and God's blessing of the nations of the earth. So first, the command to go. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So again, it's a command to leave country, kindred, and his father's house. And the stakes get higher with, with, it, with each element of the, of the command. Now, it might be hard to leave your country, but, but it's even harder to leave your, your people and harder again to, to leave your family. Megan is making that decision here in, in a couple of weeks as, as she, she heads to Bible college. Now, she's not, thankfully, she's not going to the land of Canaan, but, but she is, is going with the blessing of her parents to, to, to go and to be equipped for, for further service in, in God's kingdom. Many of you are here because you have, have gone out from, from family. And, and in some cases, you, you've gone out from, from, from pagan family. Some of you know my story that, that um, that, that I was, it was, was a part of a, of a cult many years ago, and, and, and in this, this cult, I was, I was told to, to separate from my family. And that's, what, that's often one of the hallmarks of, of a cult. But, but when I looked at the scriptures, I saw that, that God's, God's command is to, to honor my father and mother, and, and that I did not have God's call of, of, that Abraham had on his life. Yes, I, I did have to, in one sense, go out from my family and, and to worship to worship God. But I can't, and no one can take this, this, this command to Abram as a, as a proof text that says, see, therefore I must go and be a missionary. This, this is somebody else's mail. This is somebody else's command. But the principle is here. The, the principle of, of leaving 
what's, what's behind of what's the old life and, and pressing on into the new is here as well. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So again, we're not, we're not necessarily commanded to go out from our family, but we are commanded to let our life go. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So God tells Abram to go. Tells him to go. It's, it, it, some, some people see that this, this command um, that, that's here in, in Genesis 12 is really a, a literary bookend with the command in Genesis 22 where God commands uh, in verse 2, God commands Abram, saying, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That there's a repetition of language um, and, a, and of themes and the, with the promise of an offspring and a discussion of settlement in the land in, in both chapters. Kenneth Matthews describes, again, these two commands as, as literary bookends in the, the narrative of Abraham. They establish his credentials, his call to Canaan, and his love for God. Matthew says that Abram is called upon to leave both his past and his future by placing his trust in God. So in leaving his, his family behind, he's leaving his past behind, and in being willing to sacrifice Isaac, he, he's putting his, even his future on the altar out of trust for God, and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that when we get there. But the Lord doesn't just give commands to Abram. He gives promises to go with them. The, the Lord might remove things that we cherish, but he will always replace them with, with something that is much, much greater and much, much better. So here, this promise of, of land and seed and, and name and blessing, these, these promises are, are seen throughout Genesis. We've already seen them already in Genesis 1 to 11. They're gonna come up again and again in Abraham's story and, and the story of the rest of the patriarchs. But, but again, we're gonna see how God replaces those things with something much, much greater, with much greater. And again and again, in fact, five times in these three verses, the Lord says, I will. He's going to do it. So first of all, here we see that the promise of land, the promise of a country. Terah had started out heading for, for Canaan but didn't make it. And Abraham is, to, Abraham is to complete the journey. So go from your country to the land I will show you, 12.1. The Lord commands Abraham to, to leave his country but, but promises him that he's going to give him another country. He doesn't tell Abram exactly where he's going to go. Abraham doesn't know where he's going. The, the Lord doesn't give him a, a map and a compass. The Lord says, I will be your compass. I will show you the way. But there's another obstacle here. Canaan isn't empty. There's people who live there. They're, they're not just going to pack up and move out when, when Abraham and his family arrive and just, just open the country for him to, to move in. There's people there that God is going to have to do another work to overcome yet another obstacle. And, and we'll see this when, it's, it's, again, it's, it's foreshadowed here, but, but you don't really see that beginning to be fulfilled uh, until you get to Joshua. 
Please turn with me in your will, if you will, in your, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, the, the passage that, that Warren read for us earlier. Hebrews chapter 11, as you're, you're aware, is the, the Hebrews hall of faith. I'm going to talk about, about Abram's obedience in a moment, but look at verse 10. For he, for Abraham, was looking forward to the city that, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The author of Hebrews then goes on to speak of, of Sarah and, and their descendants who were seeking a homeland, verse 14, a better country, a heavenly country, verse 16. And so this promised land of, of Canaan is a type. It's, it's a metaphor that, that points to heaven, our true home. Now, I am thankful for Canada, for, for the, the peace and, and freedom that we currently enjoy for our natural resources, for our healthcare system. But, but as I see this country rushing to jettison any sense of, of morality, I realize more and more that, that this is not my home, that, that Canada is not my home. And friends, we're not promised any earthly country but like Abraham and, and Sarah and the others in Hebrews 11, we too are seeking a homeland, a better country, a heavenly country. And this is what God is ultimately promising to, to Abram here in Genesis 12. So first, that's the promise of, of a country. Next, we see the promise of a seed. Promise of a seed. The Lord has told Abram to, to leave his people and his family, but, he's going to, but God is going to give him his own people and his own family. Look at 12.2. I will make of you a great nation. This isn't just the promise of a child. It's the promise of a nation. Later on, we'll, we'll see that, it's, that, that God, God promises to, to make his children like the sand of the, of the seashore, like the stars of the heavens. There's going to be a great number of people that will come from Abram, directly from Abram. But the choice of words here is interesting. He doesn't say to, to, to Abram that he's going to make him a great people, but a great nation. The, the promise is to make from him a goy among the goyim. If you're familiar at all with, with that term, it's even used in, in common vernacular. It's, it's, a, it's often used by, by Jews as, as a slight to refer to, to Gentiles. But what, what is being said here that, that I will make of you a nation among the nations. So in this, we really begin to, to see see the, really the, the role and the, and the purpose that God has for Israel, the status of, of Israel among the nations. But how is this going to happen? How is there even to be an Israel if Abram doesn't have any children, if his wife is barren? Well, the Lord is going to solve the problem. The Lord is going to have to solve this problem. He, he repeats this, this promise to, to Abram uh, again and again. And it, it, we'll see this th throughout this, this narrative of, of Abram. But we're going to have to wait for, for nine whole chapters until the final resolution, until God finally does provide Abram with Isaac. But we're going to have to wait a lot longer uh, until Matthew 1 to find out who the seed ultimately is. The seed isn't just Isaac. It isn't just Jacob and his children. It's ultimately Jesus Christ. 
the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 who will crush the serpent's head. He is the one seed who represents the many and who accomplished salvation for the people of faith, Galatians 3.16. So Abram will truly become the father, not just of one nation, but of many nations, Genesis 17.5. So we've seen then God's promise of a land, God's promise of, of a nation, and now we see God's promise of a name. Continues in verse two. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. Now we're gonna focus more on the blessing in a moment, but, but here we see the, and focus on the Lord's promise to make Abram's name great. A great name refers to Abram's influence across generations and across nations. It also points to to the way that God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to, to Genesis 17. A couple of chapters later. Verse five. Here we see this is the, the first the first time that we see God changing somebody's name. In this context, it's, it's, it's in the context of being given the covenant. And we'll see the promises that, that have already been, been seen, that, that God will, again, he will establish his, his covenant of an, an everlasting covenant. Verse eight, and I'll give to you and to your offspring the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So God is, is promising Abram a name. God is promising Abram fame. Historic fame, one of the most famous men of, of all history. It said the, in the three major monotheistic religions of the world, the, accounting for the, the majority of the people on the planet, they revere Abraham. But again, in, in Judaism and in Islam, they don't really understand who he was and the implications of, of his life and God's work in his life. There's an additional promise here that, that, that was not mentioned yet. It says, kings will come from you. Verse six, kings will come from you. And if you track the line, the line of Abraham, in fact, in, in the, the, the earlier form of his name could possibly refer to, to the kings. But what, what is being said here is that kings is a promise that kings will come from you. You think about, about kings like King David. Especially think of the covenant that God makes with David where he promises in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 9, hear this, I will make you a great name like the great ones of the earth. But again, whether it's, whether it's, it's Abraham or whether it's David, this points to another name, an infinitely greater name, the, the name that is above all names, the name of which all, that all will bow the knee before Jesus Christ. The, the name, the only name but where, bit, where which men may be saved. And so the, 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 Lord's, the Lord promises to make Abram a great name. It's a contrast, isn't it, with the incident at Babel. Just look back to the beginning of, of chapter 11. Uh, in verse four. Then they, the, Babylon, Bab, the Babel builders, said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. So here you have men humanistically trying to, to make a name for themselves. And then God spreads them. The only name that the Babel builders get is Babel, which means confusion or folly. 
But what you see God doing is making a name for his people. The only means of getting a name is through the sovereign work of the Lord through faith and obedience in him. Okay, so we've seen the the promised land. We've seen the promised seed, the promised name. And then finally, let's look here at the promised blessing. The Lord says five times in in these few verses that he will bless Abram. Matthew call, Matthews calls the term bless in Hebrew barak and its, its derivatives the thematic glue of the entire book of Genesis. God in his faithfulness is, is going to bless his chosen people. It, this, this word is of, of primary importance in Genesis. It's used 88 times in Genesis alone. Fully one quarter of the, of the times that, that this word is used and its derivatives is, is in one third, it's, sorry, one quarter of the Old Testament uses of the word are here in Genesis. In this context, it, it refers to long life and, and wealth and peace and fruitful crops and livestock and many servants and especially many children. We've seen God's promise to bless with many children already. But so we now begin to see that, 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 it's, that God is, is selecting, selectively blessing Abram and also, as we'll see in a moment, blessing through Abraham. Notice that it's to, to, the blessing goes to Abram himself, but it also extends to those who bless him. Those who bless Abram will also be blessed. But those who, who curse Abram or, or those who dishonor Abram will be cursed by God. And we're going to see this happen in the very next section in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. That, that Pharaoh is, it begins to experience a curse because he's, he's taken his, Abram's wife Sarah into his harem. And so in this, we, we see the reality of, and a continuation of the war between the, the seed of the woman and the seed of rejection, between the seed of promise and the, and the seed of the serpent. But notice here especially that, that he says that God says that I'm going to bless the families of the earth through you. This blessing was not meant to be for Abram alone. He is really a, a transmitter for the, the divine blessing. Again, not to to every individual on the planet, but to, to members of every group, of every group. Israel is later going to be called a blessing to the nations in Isaiah 19.24 and, and Zechariah 8.13. The, the promise, really, it, this promise that he's going to make all the families of the earth blessed through, through Abram is really, it's a continu- continuation and up there with impo- importance of the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15. Uh, of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. And, and so we as the families of the earth are blessed under and through Abraham's blessing. Genesis, or Psalm, rather Psalm 22 verses 27 and 28, we, we begin to see this. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. This evokes thoughts of the, the table of nations that, that we saw in Genesis 10. That the Lord is sovereign and, and God has a plan for the nations. And we've talked about this repeatedly, but we see this fully and finally fulfilled uh, around the throne of Christ. And people from every tribe and tongue and nation uh, are gathered together with one voice, worshiping the Lamb on the throne. So again, this blessing on, on Abram was not just for Abram. It's for us. 
It's for us. We are recipients of that blessing as those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, finally, in verses uh, tw- in chapter 12, verses 49, we'll see Abram's response to the Lord's call. The Lord simply says to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. That, that's that's what, what Abram is being commanded and, and called to do. And God has said all the things that he's going to do for Abram. Well, how does, does Abram respond? He responds with faith. He hears the word of God and responds with faith. And then in that faith, he obeys. In that faith, he obeys. Now think about it for a moment. He's, he's still, he's 75 years old. He's still childless. His, his wife is still barren. But he obeys and, and, and follows the command. And first forcibly says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Well, notice here that he, brings, that he brings Lot along with him. Now, Lot is going to figure very prominently um, in, in, the, in the early parts of, of this narrative of, of Abram. But there he is with his family and his possessions, leaving, leaving his country behind, leaving his people behind, leaving his father behind, and going to, to Canaan. He doesn't know exactly where he's going, but he's obedient to God's word. In verse 5, this, this mention of, uh, of, Sarah, of Sarai here refers, again, or highlights the fact, again, it's a reminder that she's still there and, and she's, she's still barren. Um, notice also that he took much wealth with him. He was, a, he was a wealthy man. He'd already been blessed even before he went to Canaan. He's going to be blessed much more as, as, he, um, as he travels through the land. But verse, in verse 6, we read that he, he passed through the land to Shechem at the Oak of, of Morah. Now, now this area is, um, it's between the, the Sea of Galilee and, and the Dead Sea in the, the eastern part of, of, of Israel in what's, in what's now often referred to as the West Bank. He'd, crossed, he'd gone south and, and crossed the Jordan to, um, to Shechem. To Shechem, and, and what does he do there at Shechem? At the, at, the, um, at the Oak of Morah. Well, first of all, God makes a promise to him in verse 7. The Lord says to him, appears, the Lord appears in a theophany and says, it says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So God is, is this is the first theophany, this first appearance, physical appearance of uh, Physical might not be quite the right word, but, but God himself appears to Abram at Shechem and, and reiterates the promise that he already made. And how does Abram respond? So he built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And now we don't know whether there, this, in, quite often it does, the building an altar does involve a sacrifice. We're not, we're not told here. But, but Abram is responding in faith and obedience to God's word yet again. God has told him what to do and he is doing it. He's responding in faith to God's promises. This foreshadows God's appearances to, um, at, at Sinai in the tabernacle. And this, this repetition, the promise again that we're gonna see throughout this, uh, throughout this, this, this toledote 
is monumental, but notice here that this is, the promise is not here made directly to, to Abram, the promise of the land. It's to your offspring, I will give this land. But contrary to the Babel builders, he builds an altar. He builds an altar. What he's doing is he's, 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 he's placing a flag in the ground. A flag built on God's promises. He's, he's laying claim to the land of Canaan out of confidence to the Lord's promise. And then we see him in verse eight, moving into the hill country between, between Bethel and, and Ai. This is, is not too far from, from Jerusalem. And he pitched a tent. He, he settled there. Notice that he's not in a Canaanite city. He settles outside of the city walls. And there, what does he do? He calls on the name of the Lord. He calls on the name of the Lord. And builds, he builds another altar. There's another flag in this land. This, this land belongs to God and God is giving it to us. He's laying hold of the promises of God. Now this, this people speculate is what this means, calling on the name of the Lord, but it's, it's, we can see throughout the scriptures that it's really speaking generally of formal worship. He's worshiping the Lord. You see that in, in chapter four, verse 26, we already saw that, and it's also in 21, 33, and 26, 25. He is worshiping the God who keeps his promises. And then finally, in, in verse nine, we see him traveling south to Negev. That's the, 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 the desert land um, in the environs of, of the Dead Sea. And, and he, so we see that he's traveled now from, from Mesopotamia in the north all the way through to the southern part of, of Israel on, on the border of the Red Sea. He's, he's traveled this land. He's, he lives in the land. He, he worships in the land. But then he, it finishes with, with him heading towards Egypt. But it's easy to think as, as, we, as we read this passage and see the obedience of, of Abram and, and think of what a great man he was. Again, Hebrews 11 talks extensively about him, speaks more about, about Abram, spends more time on him and his example of faith than, than any other single person in that chapter. But even though Abram is often presented as a paragon of faith, he had his failings. We've already seen that, that he was a pagan at, at the time of his call. What we're gonna see next in, in Egypt, we're gonna, it reminds us that, that the biggest obstacle to, to God blessing Abram is Abram himself. The biggest obstacle to God's blessing of Abram is Abram. As in Egypt, he, he risks his wife's virtue in order to save his own skin. He, he shows a pattern of, of dishonesty that, that is repeated and that's going to continue even in his children. It leaves us with, with questions. Will Abram remember God's call? Will he remember God's promises? But we've seen, haven't we, that the obstacles for the Lord's blessing for the Lord aren't really obstacles at all. Abram himself is not an obstacle to the Lord's blessing, to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Friends, Abram is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. In Genesis 15, 6, we, we, we hear that, that Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is quoted four times in the New Testament. 
Yes, Abram was an example of faith, but his faith was a gift from God. And so is yours. Abram was not the hero of his story, and you are not the hero of your story. God is the hero of your story. God is able to overcome every obstacle, every obstacle, even the ones that you throw up in order to bless you in your life. If you are here as as a Christian, You are here because God has thrown down the obstacle of your rebellion. He took out your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. He turned you from a rebel into a worshiper. Just like he turned Abram from a pagan into a worshiper. You might be sitting here this morning with a a heart that is rebellious against God. Here sitting as as an unbeliever. But God is able, through the proclamation of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, God is able to overcome every obstacle in your life. You are not the hero of your story. God is the hero of your story. Let's turn to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed when we consider Lord, our wickedness, even the the wickedness that kept us from coming to you. Lord, even the wickedness that that still remains as we, we still sometimes and so often cling to sin. But Lord, we praise you that you have already overcome the, the greatest obstacle, our dead and cold hearts. Lord, we thank you that you are still overcoming. Even as we've been given new hearts, Lord, sin still clings to us. And Lord, so we go confident that that just as you are faithful to your promises to, to Abram, Lord, you are faithful to your promises to us. Lord, we know that you will continue to, to strip away the things that, that keep us from you, the things that keep us from enjoying and experiencing your blessing. And Lord, one day we know that you will be faithful to return, Lord Jesus, and take us to be with you forever. And so Lord, as we consider the promises that you made to to Abram, Lord, help us to consider this morning the promises that you make to us, for they are yes and amen in Christ. And Lord, we pray that that you would help us to, to, to be transformed as we behold your face, looking with eager anticipation for the return of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.